Who knows what progress is? Progress means getting nearer to the place that you want to be. And if you've taken a wrong turning, then going forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. The man or woman who turns back the soonest is the most progressive one. That's C.S. Lewis. Never celebrated Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur to, to my recollection. I don't know, maybe he did. But what he did right there is give you the perfect definition of the days leading up to the High Holidays. These days of Shuvah. This is the story of repentance and what we are about. To turn. Now, Teshuvah, that, that doesn't mean going backwards, does it? Well, in this assessment, it actually does mean going backwards. It means temporarily going back, backwards. We're gaining perspective. We're, of course, observing the good that we've done along the way. But we're also uprooting, knocking down these torn, shred, black, negative banners that line the path of our lives. We're turning around to deal, and then we're turning back around, and we're headed forward at that point. Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days to Yom Kippur. At Yom Kippur, you arrive at the starting line. It's the starting line of the race of the rest of your life, the journey of the rest of your life. Al 2.0, Kelly 2.0, Damien 51.0 version. It's the restart. You never thought of the shofar as a starter pistol, but in essence, that's what it's doing for you. Waking you up and telling you, let's go forward. We're ready to run in a new and better, better direction, okay? That's the obvious, that's what this is. Now, let me share something with you. I think a lot about what I say up here, some days that might be questionable, but I do. I prepare a lot, and then afterwards, I think a lot about what I say. And I ask God, sometimes, a lot of times, I listen to make sure that what I said connected. Last week, I asked Hashem this question. How do I make this relatable? After listening to last week and looking at everyone's faces and, and, and just sort of having that classic response of, okay, here we go into these days again. He's going to do the messages about repentance. All right, let's do this. And, you know, so I asked God, how do I make this relatable? Because here's the deal. For guys, for most of you, when I look out here and with the people that I know who are online and everything, for the most part, you're pretty good people. Like, you know, yeah, you're, you're here and you're trying to love God and you're trying to love others and sure you've had problems in your life, but generally I think that most of you are trying to do your best. And it makes it very, very difficult to, to, to have these messages, it makes it hard to connect them when it comes to things like the accounting of the soul, right? The books of life and death are open before you. 
Examine your failures. Look at how bad you stink in the world. No one really wants to do that. And yes, everything I said last week was true. Emotional debt, unforgiveness, unreconciled hurts you've caused or have been done to you, all of them matter and all of them should be addressed. But here's the question, how many of you listened to last week's message and said, gosh, you know what, he just nailed me on it. I really need to get intentional about my soul searching. I really need to take this seriously. Who can, who, I can really see myself in this to, to deal with these hurts or extend forgiveness, changes in my life, struggles I've had for years that persist, that affect me, that affect others. Rabbi, you're talking to me. Thank you. One person, thank God. Thank you for that. And it was worth it. And I know there are people. But for the most part, I'm concerned that because most of us live a pretty good life, this is pew. Or pew, pew. It's not your fault. This see my failures kind of stuff. My gut tells me that a lot of people don't have a level of engagement with this. I've always thought about it, but I've never been so intentional in asking about it as I was this year because it matters more to me now. I don't know. I've crossed the 50 threshold. Maybe I got some new wisdom. Got new gray hair, so that's how that's supposed to work. Gray hair, wisdom. So I asked God... As thinking through it, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I make this happen for these people? Not just for the one, but for the 99, right? And God pointed to me, myself, and he said, okay, what are you getting out of it? What are you going to devote time to? What do, why does this matter to you? Or does it? Is it just about coming up with some good content? Is it about fixing everybody else because you're the rabbi and you got to stand up there and tell them how to live right? He wasn't sarcastic like that. He was very nice. And by the way, none of this happened audibly. Okay? I wish it had. What do you need to work on? God said. And I began to think about this and I thought, you know what, here's the problem. My life is pretty good, really. I mean, yes, I've been through hell and back, and I've been up and down that road, and I've done that, and I'm certainly not rocking this disciple thing 100%, and I still get mad when people pull out in front of me. I even say an off-color word every once in a while, but you know what? I'm doing pretty well, I feel like. I've got problems, but, but, but overall, I'm asking myself, all right, you told them about banners and pulling down. What are you going to go pull down? I mean, that illustration works for those who've really struggled in life, but you know, God, I think I'm doing okay. So, and you know what he said? Not audibly. Okay. Well, then you can't expect your good people to get much out of it either. 
You're probably right, Damien. And I've gotten real, I've learned to get very nervous when I get that response, you're probably right. Within a couple of hours of having this, this was either Saturday or Sunday, I don't remember. Within a couple of hours, it, it all just sort of, I realized, oh my gosh, my, my perfect little put-together life is not very put-together. As I was having a conversation with my middle child, she's not a child, she's a woman, 22 years old, I had a conversation with her, and the realization came crashing into me, down on me. Because she did something or didn't do something, I don't even remember what it was, and I said something to her in classic Damien form. You know what that form is? You should be better than that. Why are you not better than that? You, my expectations for you are here. You're not meeting them. I didn't say those words, but I said the things that communicated that to my daughter. You don't meet my standard. And it hurt her. And she left the room. And later, when Kelly and I were going to bed, I was thinking about her, and I just realized, oh my God, I'm no different than I ever was with them. I've always been that way. I've always expected them to be perfect, whether it was because they're my, our religious kids or whatever. My expectations were there, and if they weren't met, I would tell them. And I realized after all this time, after all these supposed journeys down the repentance road, still doing it. That needs to be fixed. So there's a big banner in my life, if I'm willing to see it. And then I thought about, you know, there's so much in my life I want to do. There's so much I want to do. There's such an impact I want to have. For the kingdom, yes. Religiously, yes. But just for people. And there are ways to do it, to get out there and talk to people and speak and write and do all kinds of things. And you know what? I'm not doing any of them because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to fail. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to jeopardize my reputation. Where does that come from? Why is that in me? Because of something that I didn't confront somewhere down the road where someone probably did the same thing to me that I do to my own kids, and I'm afraid. And I don't have to be afraid, do I? But if I don't go back and find it, and if I'm not honest, and if I don't address it, I will stay this way. And so here's the thing when God said, okay, Damien, whatever, you're probably right. I'm not right. This is for me. It's for you. If you're willing to be honest and listen and really think about your life, this should be the whole message, actually, but it's not. I have more I need to teach you. But of all the things I'm going to say today, that's what I really want you to get out. Is no matter how you feel put together, much of that often is just a mask. And this is the time we take the mask off. 
and we'd be honest with ourselves and with other people. So anyway, anyway, I did that without crying, so I'm really grateful for that because I didn't want to have like this theatrical element. So those are the facts, my friends. But why? Why, do, why does this matter? Why, why do we do this every year? Is this, is this a God-ordained thing? I mean, these days, these days of tshuva, repentance to turn and repent and do all that stuff. Well, yeah, it is actually a God-ordained thing, and I'm going to tell you exactly why, just in case you don't know this, why these days, these particular days matter so much. From last Friday, yesterday, Friday, which was the first of the month of Elul, this is the sixth month on the Hebrew calendar, to the 10th of Tishrei, which is one Elul to 10 Tishrei is 40 days. What happens on 10 Tishrei? Yom Kippur. So on the first of Elul, Moses went up to the mountain after the golden calf incident had taken place, and he began to intercede for the people of Israel, and he was there for 40 days. And on the 10th of, Nis on the 10th of Tishrei, on Yom Kippur, God said, Salachti, I will forgive. And there was forgiveness for the worst, most abominable sin that Israel could have committed after all that God did. These are the days when Moses was on the mountain. These are the days that we talk about the king being in the field. That means that the king who's usually in the majestic high places beyond all recognition has actually come near to you. Isaiah tells us, draw near to him while the king can be found. These are the days, okay? So there's a God-ordained thing. That's, that's a real thing. But, but there's another really, really powerful thing about repentance in general that's God-ordained. It's a distinction between you and a cow or you and an elephant, between man or woman and beast. This thing that we do, which is called repentance, is a manifestation of God's image within you. It's the difference between being a, a nephesh, a living soul, like a cow or a lizard or an elephant, and a nephesh and a neshama, that breathes soul from God within you. You have both. The beasts of the field do not. What does that mean? That means that in God's image, you have compassion. You have a, a, a desire to be reconciled to people. Well, my dog does too. I know, but that's different. Do you think that when the tiger strikes, gets the antelope and he's eating it, do you think he's sitting there with regret saying, dog on it? I know, I had to eat, but just, just a, it was a little rough. You think those rams, when they're like, bam, bam, trying to get the hottest you of the field? Do you think afterwards they say, gosh, next time, you know what, let's just talk about this. That was so violent. <laughs> they don't have it. They don't have a sense of wanting to be reconciled when hurt has been caused. That's a God-ordained, God-given ability within you. That's very special. Why is there tshuva, the, the, the texts ask, why? The answer is because the world cannot exist without a way back. 
That means that with re without repentance, there's no hope for society. There's certainly no hope for us with God because we are compassionate by design. We possess the ability to regret actions. And most of all, as I talked about last week, you have a desire to change those parts of you. That's beautiful. It's godly. You have the choice. You see, here's the remarkable consideration. Our actions in life, whatever road we take, they take us a certain way. And sometimes that way is really bad, and that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. But we can alter the course, actually, of time. Actions today can change the future. They can't necessarily change the consequences of the past, but you can make things better for the future by making a choice to engage in these things. Because there's really little more powerful in the world than I'm sorry and I forgive. Those words change the world, and the world cannot function. A society cannot function without those things. That's repentance. It is the message of Messiah in his first coming. What did he say? What's the, what's the thing? What's the gospel? Repent, for the kingdom has drawn near. Repent. Repentance was one of the seven things the Talmud tells us that was created before the foundations of the world. Seven phenomena, this is in Pesachim 54a, seven phenomena created before the world. Torah, repentance, the Garden of Eden, Gehenna, the throne of glory, the temple, and the name of Messiah. Repentance and peace for you is God's greatest desire for you. Ezekiel says, cast away from you all the transgressions you've committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. It's one of the most remarkable aspects of the God that we serve who is slow to anger and forgiving. That where the letter of the law demands justice, he shows mercy. Again, through a pretty simple process. I mean, it's not like you have to, like, cut yourself or do some terrible thing. You simply ask, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I will, I will do some things. We're going to talk about what you do very briefly. But I love some of these Jewish source texts. No holds are barred for the penitent in his journey homewards. Nothing God will put no barrier in your path on the way back to him. He has a direct line to the heavenly throne, it says about the penitent. His tshuva, his repentance, is equated with ascending to Jerusalem, building the temple, sacrificing on the offering, an offering on the altar. The gates of repentance are always open to him. What is the meaning, Rav Samuel said? When David, when asked of David praying to God to hear him in an acceptable time. The gates of prayer, replied the rabbi, may sometimes be closed in contradistinction of the gates of repentance, which are never closed. In the place where the penitents stand, even the holy righteous cannot stand. As it says, peace, peace to him that was far and to him that is near. To him that was far first and then to him that is near. What that means is God loves 
you when you've been far and come close, even more than the one who was always close. And yet, as we discussed last week, remarkably, that is a choice that God gives you, which most people do not usually choose to partake of. Whether it's pride, admissions of failure, fear, whatever it is. It's, but, it, but it is yours for the taking. So here's this interesting question. This God-ordained stuff. Is God telling us to do this? Is this commanded soul work that we're doing here? Elul, high holidays. Is it commanded to go through this process? I told you last week, you may have been asked, if you, if you are around Messianic Judaism for long enough, you will certainly be asked when you try to explain to someone that I'm in the middle of the days of Elul, the high holidays, I'm, going, I'm, I'm really doing some soul searching. Eventually you'll be asked, why? You are a disciple of Jesus. Why? You are a new creation. You've been forgiven. You don't, you don't even have to. Why would you do that? And, and, and you say, well, it's a festival of the Lord. It's, it's a commanded thing. We do it. Is it? It's tricky. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are commanded festivals of the Lord, but where do we find... In Torah, yes, Yeshua said a lot of things about repenting and not judging. Where do we find in Torah God saying, you should take these days and make them days where you're going through this soul-searching repentance process? Where do we find uh, the commandment to do it? Well, better question is, can it be commanded? Can I stand up here and tell you, God said you need to do this. Do it. It's a commandment. Can I command you to do that? Oh, can God? I can't. I can't even command my kids to do anything. Can it be commanded? Well, here's the answer. The Rambam said, no. Teshuvah is a return to God. A voluntary return to God. If God commands it, where is the free will? Even better, teshuva represents a departure from sin, which means I'm not living according to the words of Torah, right? That's what sin is. I'm not, I'm not living according to the words of Torah. So you're going to tell me that the Torah that I'm not following commands me to go back to God. Well, I don't care. I'm already not following the Torah. It's illogical. We can't do that. It doesn't work. It's a free choice. It's a heart issue. Just like when God says, I don't want your stinky sacrifices unless your heart is behind them. I, he, he loves sacrifices, but not without the proper intention in kavanah. Okay, so, no, we don't strictly find this as a commandment. No, it can't be commanded. But if you choose to do it, there's a right way to do it. Could you imagine this, that Judaism actually has some laws surrounding how you repent how you go through this process. Laws, you just said it's emotional and from the heart. Taking the spirit out of it. No, it's going to give you the steps to take. 
And I'm going to give them to you very quickly today because this is important for you. If you've made the choice to do it, this is the right way down the repentance road. These are called the laws of teshuvah, hilchot teshuvah. Ready for the number one. First, they're actually pretty obvious, but you may want to jot them down. Here we go. First law, a sinner should abandon his sin and remove them from his thoughts, resolving never to do them again. Stop sinning. That's rule number one. Pretty easy, right? Let's talk about that word sin real quick, though. Okay? Isaiah 55, may the wicked abandon his ways. Stop sinning. Now, I think immediately here when we start throwing this word in, this is where I lose a lot of people in the holidays, to the whole point that I made in the beginning, which was, well, uh, uh, yeah, I, I cut somebody off, or I, like I'm, I'm not, but I'm not like a sinner. I, I don't know how much you want from me. Well, uh, I, we're all sinners, I get it, but, but recognizing this difficulty, the terrible, all this talk about sin and living in sin and repenting from sin and terrible mistakes of sin. I, I, I have a hard time connecting to that, some people say. Okay, listen, I understand that. But it's important to see sin for what sin is, and I think there is such an unbelievable power in words and language. When you tell somebody, hey, guess what? I'm a follower of Jesus. You're not. You're a despicable, filthy sinner. You live in sin. You're going to die in sin, then burn in hell in sin for the rest of your life. You're a sinner. Say the prayer. That doesn't work very well. I've been on the receiving end of that, and I've seen people do it. It's interesting. I see people do that in the gym sometimes, and people like want to pick up a dumbbell and throw it at these people and say, dumbbell. We need to frame sin in a more Jewish way. Okay? This is, this is what this means. Sin, in its actual context, hits the mark with many more people. Anyone understand that little joke I just threw in there? Sure you do. Sin is an, it's derived from, connected to an archery term, which means to miss the mark. Okay? It doesn't necessarily mean that you killed someone, robbed a bank, or blew up something. It means you missed the mark. Now, we're n none of us are afraid to call ourselves sinners. We are sinners, but the Jewish concept of sin differs in many ways from other religions. It teaches that we're born with free will. We're, we're morally neutral. We have an inclination toward goodness and a productive life and concern for others. And we also have an inclination toward evil or animal or base instincts and selfishness. And the Torah, the whole thing, starting with the Ten Commandments, is to help you establish this, not a balance. You don't want to be half sinful, half not. You just want to be better. It's not about you being a despicable person terrible human being. Sin, hate, it means to go astray. So when I say, man, I just, I just didn't hit the mark in that area. I, I, my family, my work, my taxes, my attitude, whatever the thing is, 
It doesn't have to mean you're a despicable person. It simply means you are missing the mark in areas of your life and you need to evaluate them and then stop doing those things, okay? Wow, he's really watering down sin. Sin is sin. That's actually true. Sin is sin. Whether it is technically, according to Torah, eating shrimp, which is a sin in the Torah, or killing someone. They're sinful behaviors for Jewish people who are observing Torah. Like they're not, you're not supposed to eat shrimp and you're not supposed to kill people. Sin is sin. Well, I don't believe that. You can talk to him when you get there. So listen, sin, I just really, as we're talking about it, it's important that you have a frame of sin. You miss the mark. Well, let me ask, just to make sure I'm feeling my, feeling my audience here. Has anyone missed the mark since last September? Okay, good. Well, you sinned, and according to this rule, this law, you should stop doing that. Okay? With me? Number two, regret the sin. Regret it. Regret? I don't live with regret. I'm a new creation. Be grieved for missing the mark, whether it caused you personal damage or someone else. Be grieved. A godly grief produces a repentance, 2 Corinthians says. Jeremiah 31, after I returned, I regretted. Regret the fact that you missed the mark. That's the second thing. Regret it. It has a psychological, emotional, even physiological thing in your body to recognize and see that. Third, you ready? Commit to not do it again. This is repentance. Stop, regret, commit to not doing it again. Hosea 14, we will no longer say to the work of our hands, you are our, you are our gods. Commit to a new path like C.S. Lewis said. John 5, after Yeshua found him in the temple and said to him, See your well, sin no more, so that nothing worse may happen to you. Yeshua said in John 8, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's a thing. Once you stop and once you regret, then say, I'm not going to do it again. And don't. And the fourth one, in Hebrew, it's called vidui. Vidui, which means confess. And instantly you're thinking of a little dark wooden booth with a screen and me sitting on one side and you saying, Rabbi, I have sinned. No, not that. Vidui. It's the central component of the Yom Kippur service, both in temple times and today. Confession. Confession. And for Rambam... And I agree, this is the key to tshuva. And next week I will take you into this concept in a powerful way. But interestingly, it is right here in number four in Confession and Vidui that we find the Torah commandment that is associated with repentance. The singular commandment. And I'll bring it out for you, but not now. The most important thing 
that you need to do to truly repent, to confess. But why? Why? Again, I'll take you there next week, okay? And this is sort of an abrupt conclusion, but, but what I want you to hear again, what I said in the beginning, remember that about being tuned in here. It's the last thing for you to hear. Much of, much of what I'm talking about, I understand it's a little bit dry. It's like fundamentals. We'll get better. We'll, 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 get, we'll get better from here. But it's background, it's foundation. But the important thing that I'm asking you to do is to see yourself in the process. To see these things as having great meaning in your life. Even if you haven't yet, because see, yesterday started the month of Elul. You don't need to wait for me to go four steps down the road of repentance in order for you to make the effort. That starts yesterday. That starts today. It starts tomorrow. And every day other than Shabbat, you can hear the sound of the shofar like your alarm clock waking you up to the idea of this process and asking you to go through it. We're going to go all the way to the high holidays with these things. That's what we do. But I'll leave you with these words from Pirkei Avot. Rabbi Eliezer would say, Repent one day before your death. Asked his disciples, Does a man know on which day he will die? Said he to them, So being the case, he should repent today, for perhaps tomorrow he will die. Hence, all his days are passed in a state of repentance. Do you know when you're going to die? No. Do you know that probably somewhere along the path of your life are things that you potentially could have done better that maybe have never been addressed, or even right now you're living in a place where you could make changes? Of course you do. So get started and do it together. That's the way God has done it. So next week, our amazing, uh, powerful way of looking at confession without thee. Forgive me, Father, it's been six weeks since I said confession or whatever. You're going to learn it, and you're going to live it. Shabbat shalom. Thank you.